Pray with me. I want to give you a second to ask the Lord to take over your heart, to take over your thoughts, to take over your mind. God, we are desperate for you in this moment, in every moment. Would you stir our affections for you? Would you take areas where we might be, seem hopeless, and would you birth hope into our hearts and our minds this morning? In Christ's name, amen. Here's the question for you as we dive into a pretty profound section of Scripture. It's this. Have you given up? What do you think about that? Have you given up? Or are you on the verge of giving up? Because for for you and I, as Christians, for those of you that are Christians, listen, we have a hope that cannot waver. And so whether you feel it or not, in your soul, we have a hope in the truth of the gospel that is unchanging. So there should be a demeanor about us that leads us to walk in a hope-filled reality. No matter what the circumstances are around us. And we come to a text that's all about that. Okay, that as Christians, we're to live in hope, not despair. We're to walk in a sense of we're the most optimistic people on the planet. Not pessimistic. Where we're people that walk in an unshakable amount of belief. Not despair. Not doubt. So we come to John 11, and let me tell you the significance of John 11. Okay? Arguably the most significant miracle Jesus performs in his time on earth, apart from his own resurrection. Okay? This miracle was so significant that it was like the talk of the town. Okay, let me explain, because like what's going to happen here coming up in a couple chapters is what's called the triumphal entry. You're familiar maybe with the triumphal entry, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He has one month or one week before he's going to die. He tells his disciples, I want you to go to Bethany, and I want you to get me a donkey to to ride. Okay. So they, they go in, and they're like looking around. They're like, hey, there's one tied up right over there. Let's get that one. Well, when they sent him, they said, um, if anyone asks you why you're taking their donkey, uh, just tell them I need it. Okay, would that work for, for any of us? Okay, so disciples are like untying this dude's donkey. He comes running out of his house, right? He's like, 
you know, ready to call the cops, ready to like throw down. He's like, you're stealing my donkey. What are you doing? Okay. They simply say to him, Jesus needs it. Oh, oh, absolutely. Take him. Okay. Why? Because Jesus had just performed this miracle. Okay. That this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead had just gone down. And it got word all over the region. Okay. But there's another significant point. Okay, that bears significant weight on why this is even, even greater than other resurrection miracles that happen um, that we'll get to here in a second. So let's go. We've got 44 verses to cover. Um, here we go. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay, so we come to this passage, and this is a beloved family, okay? This is a, a family where there's two sisters and a brother that are residing in the same house, okay? And this family was dear to Jesus, okay? Um, Mary and Martha, they're the famous Mary and Martha that you've probably, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard about. Mary's the one who sits at the feet of Jesus and just rests in who he is. And Martha's like, you've got to be doing for Jesus. You've got to be do, 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 do. Okay? Well, Mary, you know, she's sitting around doing nothing. Well, Martha, she's doing too much and not enjoying Jesus. Okay? It's that, it's that. Those two women. Okay? Well, they have a brother who's gotten sick. Okay, and so what do they do? They say, we need to get Jesus. We need to go get Jesus. And so they send a messenger about a day's journey to a region of Perea, which is east of the Jordan River, to get Jesus, to give word to Jesus about what's happened. Okay, now, I want to just want to stop here for a second. I want to ask this probing question for you and I. Are you known as a person that people can go to when the bottom falls out of their life. Okay? Mary, Martha, Lazarus, like, the situation happens, the first person in their mind, like, we gotta go to Jesus. Okay? There should be something about you as a Christian that you're known by your neighbors, whether they believe in the Lord or not. You and I are known by our neighbors as somebody who is hopeful, as someone who can walk beside, as someone who, when stuff happens in life, it's like, man, we need to go to them. We need to talk with them. Like, I don't even know if I believe in prayer, but we need to go and have them pray. Or are you just focused on you and your world and your life? This is how Jesus was known. This is the model for us. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about this, this illness, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, so I think one of the hardest yet truest teachings in Scripture that's debated all over the place is this idea is, is God more for you or for him? Okay? Is God more about his love for you or is God more about his own glory? Okay, the arguments can go all over the place, but here's my contention. Here's what I give to you and here's what I see right here in this text is that if God was 
more about lifting up and exalting you. It would be the most unloving thing he could do. But in the, in the case where God lifts up and exalts who he is, his glory, his purposes, his ways, and then invites us into that, that's love. That's the most loving thing. So when, when the passage says, it's for the glory of God, maybe we're like, well, forget the glory of God. Like, I lost my brother. Okay, but listen, God's doing something so much bigger. Okay? Not to negate death, not to negate trials, but God's doing something bigger and He's inviting us into it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, verse 5, and her sister Lazarus, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I'm sure all of us on some level have gotten word of some type of bad news. I remember um, when my grandpa began to get ill, they lived in Las Vegas. And what did we do? We got on a plane and we went there. We went to see him, right? We're like, okay, how fast can we get there? We want to see him before he passes. Okay, all of us. Maybe we've had that type of situation. Okay, someone's hurting. I mean, I want to get there. I want to be with them. Okay, look at the passage again. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. What? Oh, we'll go in a little bit. They'll be fine. Mary, Martha, they'll be fine. Really? Like, Jesus, what, what's, what's going on here? Okay, you'll, you'll understand why here in a second. But here's, here's what I think I see here is the truth that we have a means by which we want to be loved more than we need to be loved. Okay, so we'll tell people like, here's how I want to be loved. Here's what I want you to do for me. And oftentimes, you and I, we do it all the time. God, here's what I need from you. Here's how I want you. Let me be God, even though you're God. Here's how I need you to love me. And so in our minds, the picture of love was like, Jesus, you need to get there right away. We're going to see in a minute, like, there's a reason why he didn't go right away. God is strategic in everything that he does. He has a purpose in everything that he does. He loved, so he stayed. Continue on. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Okay, stop. So not long ago, actually in the previous chapter, Jesus had just left this region because the Jews were trying to kill him. Okay, and him staying two days wasn't like him to rally up his troops, like we're going back to the Jews, like we better like get our guns and our ammo and be prepared. No, like... Jesus doesn't operate in a fear-based reality. Okay, so his disciples are like, we're going back? Like, dude, they were just trying to take you out. And you want to go back to the same area where your life was threatened. Listen, outward circumstances never diverted Christ and shouldn't divert us from the will of the Father. What's going on externally doesn't change the calling, the outward threats, 
doesn't change if this is what God said to do. Listen, obedience to Christ is costly and is dangerous, is it not? Listen, for you to stay in a place and be faithful and to live and love and serve, it costs you. For you to invest in your family through thick and thin, for you to invest in a place where maybe you're spoken ill of, where you're abused in some sense. Listen, if that's where God's called you, that's the safest place for you. But we don't like that. Because we give in to fear so much more often. Living out the mission of God and engaging the world is costly and physically could be harmful. But in the kingdom of God is the safest place on earth. Continue on. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, so Jesus just got done answering the statement from the disciples. He's like, listen, your calling is to walk in my ways. Your calling is that when you walk in the light of the world, You're going to see, and you're going to be successful, and you're going to fulfill the plan of God. But where you try to run outside of it, where you try to do your own thing, where you try to run in darkness, that's where you're going to stumble. That's where you're going to fall. So I don't know maybe where you sit today, other than that seat right there where you're at. But what is it where you're like, God, I I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know if this is like, This could be dangerous. Yeah. Every single follower of Jesus Christ was brutally put to death. My daughter was drawing all these pictures as she sat in the seat right over there. Brutally put to death. (laughs) Welcome to Christianity. (laughs) But listen, Jesus says to his guys, listen, the Jews aren't a threat to me. The people around me aren't a threat. That person that's overwhelming you, that you're scared of, listen, they're not a threat to you. Because God's your God and God's your Father. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them, plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Do you ever feel like sometimes God is cruel? You ever thought about that? You're like, oh, can I shake my head there? Like, raise your hand. No, we won't do that. Um, a couple people are like, okay, one of your pastors just raised his hand. Okay, a couple people are like, um, have you ever thought about that? Like, I mean, you look at this story, and there's some level to which, like, Jesus, that's just cruel. You're just gonna stay. You're just going to let this situation play out. 
What's crazy is Jesus says, hey, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Because a sense of God's absence, God's perceived absence, is the means by which we get on our face and beg for his intimate presence. You follow that? Like where we feel like, God, where are you at here? Like what are you doing? I don't understand. This isn't how I would have had it play out. Listen, God's there, right? God's present in our lives, present in our situations, present in our doubts. I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. I'm glad you felt like I wasn't present because it pushed you to beg for my presence. And now I'm going to show you it. That's what Jesus is saying. Now we're going to go there. Let's go see them. Let's go be with them. Let's go engage them. Maybe there's some people around you in your life where that's who you need to be for them. Where you go be with them, you go engage them in the circumstances that are going on in their life. Verse 16, so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them, considering their brother. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Okay, so you're like, for those of you that are math people, you're like four days, like two days, like, okay, what, what's going on here? So um, they sent a messenger from Perea to Bethany, day's journey. Uh, he was, so probably on that journey is when Lazarus died. No way to get the word to the messenger. So when Jesus gets the word, Lazarus is already dead, okay? Then stays two days, and then he has a day's journey to get there, okay? Four days, in the tomb, four days. Now, something that's significant that you're like, okay, four days, like one day, who, like who cares? One day, four days, like dead, tomb, done. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Because here's the burial customs and the, the, the teachings and the belief in the Jewish culture is that when death happened, um, the spirit of a person hovered over that person for three days. Okay? And that if any resuscitation was going to happen, there was still a sense of hope and that that spirit would then re-enter the person and they would come to life, Right? Okay, so Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he stayed two days. Because you know what just happened? Four days. What is four days? What's the significance of four days? Hope's gone. There's no sense where, maybe there's still hope here. Because after three days, it was believed that the spirit of the person just goes into the abyss, just goes to be with the dead. Okay, so here in this instance, they're like, why weren't you here? We're at four days. Like, it's done. He's done for. In their situation, they thought it was hopeless. 
Like there's, it's against all odds. But if you've read any of the Bible, you know God loves, God loves to take the most terrible odds. Like some of you like love to play your odds. You know, you're like, well, so how are we going to play this here? And like, well, we've got really good odds here, so we're going to invest some here. And like, God's the guy who like terrible odds. We're putting all of our money right here. <laughs> That's God. He loves those situations. He loves to take the worst scenarios. You take some of the most significant kingdom changers in the Bible. They're morons. And God does unbelievable things through them. Crazy. And that's the situation here. Four days in the grave... Continue reading. 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, this is a message that that not only we need, but our world needs. Okay, that the, the, the truth is that, and, and they, the sisters believed it, was that they, he would rise again. They weren't Sadducees that didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay, they believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Okay, we as a church believe there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a day when Christ returns and the dead in Christ rise first. And we're with them. Jesus is like, Hey, it's not about some event that we look to, in part, but it's about me. Like, I'm the one. I'm the, I'm the one who enters into the hopelessness of your situation. I'm the one who enters into, I don't get this, I don't understand this. God, I don't know what you're doing. God, I don't believe you can, you can really change this situation. Because I'm the guy, I'm the resurrection and the life. I hold the keys to life and death. She, Martha, said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ and the Son of God who is coming into the world. Okay, that you're going to see in a second, this confession doesn't quite match up because Jesus is about to pull, pull Lazarus out of the tomb and she's like, whoa, 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 like, don't, don't do that. 28. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary quickly rise and go out, they followed her. Okay, so there's just this following, people mourning with this family, people kind of watching and observing how this is going to go down. 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she uttered the same exact words as her sister. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. It's the anguish. It seemed too late. But Jesus said in 33, now Jesus saw their weeping, saw her weeping, and, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Okay? That's a poor translation. Do you know what the translation should say? Jesus was irate. 
not just deeply troubled. He was irate. Do you know why he was irate? Really two reasons, but the primary reason is he hated death. Okay? He's with a family that he loves, and regardless of the fact that he's going to raise them from, raise him from the dead, he hated death. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 26 and Revelation 20, 14 says that death is our enemy. Okay? And that there'll come a day when death is swallowed up. And it's thrown into hell. Jesus hated, he was irate at the fact that death caused so much pain for people he loved. It grieved him. And then it wasn't time yet. He had to trust his father because it wasn't quite time yet for death to be swallowed up. I think there was something in him that's like, Father, can we just be done with this? That, that was the, that was, that's why he's irate. But I think also something that's in play is that there was a hope that he possessed and he wanted his disciples and followers to possess that would center them and make them solid in the face of the enemy. And I think there was a sense of grieving Not in like, why can't you get this, okay? But in like a grieving the fact that this so overwhelmed them. Not that pain and death and loss shouldn't, but there should be a resolve as God's people. We should come to a place of resolve as God's people. Not that we understand, but that God does, and God's faithful, and God's good. So that's that's the situation. That's why he's irate. So much so that in the next verses we see his heart. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And upon seeing the body of this man that he loved, what does he do? He weeps. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Listen, I don't know what your view of God is. Some of you I do, but all of you I don't. How you see God, who you see God to be, how you see God to engage with you, engage with his people. He weeps. Like, how incredible is that? Like, he sees, I mean, he's about to raise him. We know the story, I'm not spilling the beans, right? He's about to raise him from the dead, and it's going to be celebratory and amazing, right? He's torn shreds and he weeps not only is God weeping with you where you need him but he invites you and I to go and enter into the lives of others and weep with them who is that for you maybe it's your neighbor that you hardly know or a co-worker that doesn't even know Jesus and you could just have an opportunity to go and weep with them and enter into their situation. Romans twelve fifteen says, Weep with those who weep. Verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They're like, you know, okay, remember the man born blind? They're like, he just raised him. He just, he just opened that guy's eyes. 
Now, what about this guy? What, couldn't he have kept him from dying? Of course he could have, but he had a bigger picture going on. Like, you know, I'm glad I wasn't there because I want you to believe more than I want your life to be free of struggle. Then, Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to be here? I mean, like, you would have been like, like really? Look, there's a dead guy in there, and we're going to, like, take away. It would have been crazy. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's been an odor, for he's been dead four days. Okay, <clears throat> let me fill you in. Martha's not really concerned about the odor. Okay, you know what this exposes? Her unbelief. God, I don't believe that there's still hope. I believe that my situation has no more hope. And so um, we'll disguise it as odor, but really what's going on is at the heart of who I am. I don't believe that you can really still intervene here. Guys, it is odor. But we've given up. Or we're sure darn close. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I think that's a very interesting dialogue here. Okay, Jesus is praying. He's he's talking to his Father, but there's an aspect where the means by which Jesus is interacting with his Father is so that people might believe. I said this on account those standing around me, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Gosh, that would have been crazy to be there. Okay? Jesus absolutely has power over death. But here's how I want to land the plane here. I want to talk for two minutes about hopelessness. What is it for you? Or who is there in your life that's lost hope? Gosh, I'm just done. I'm just done with this person. God will never get a hold of them. I don't think he's too interested in it. Really? Really? Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he didn't go. No. He did go. Who is that in your life that you're just like, 
we're done. And maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's your job situation. You're just like, I'm just done. Listen, you're not done until God tells you you're done. And you want to be done, and you want to run out in darkness, that's where you're going to stumble. That's the significance of verses 9 and 10. Some of you are done with this church. Just like, just want to give up. Listen, God's at work. Whether you believe it or not, or you want to give up hope, God's at work. And where if you want to check out, apart from God giving you permission to check out, listen, you're going to miss out on what God's going to do. So what is it for you? Where have you perpetually started to walk in pessimism and unbelief? And where is God calling you, even this morning, to renew your sense of, okay, God is God. And I'm a steward and a messenger of a hopefulness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I just want to invite us to get over ourselves. I just want to invite me to just get over like what I want in my plan and my agenda and how I want life to look. And it's just like, okay, God, you're God. Let's, uh, let's pray. I just want to, before I pray and we respond, I just want to give you a second. Maybe Psalm 42 would speak over you. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. And even as you sit here, my prayer is that the truth of verse 44 would just reign all over us. Unbind him and let him go. That we would find freedom this morning. That we would find a sense of, okay, God, you're real. You're at work. A renewed sense of hope. God, we need that this morning. God, I just sense it. It's so heavy. loosen the shackles this morning. Would you take the areas where sin is weighing us down and we've lost hope in really following Christ, really being a mature follower of you. We've lost hope in that because we just stink and can't do it. God, I thank you that that's not your view of us. God, would you in these moments engage us with your love? Would you send us out to stop being selfish 
and to serve, to speak hope into the lives of those around us. Would you lead us to repent? Maybe it's to walk across the room and talk to somebody or somebody next to us or go get on the phone or go ask for some prayer. God, would you move? Have your way. Pray. Crush them.